Hey, look, there's a lot of reasons why people question their baptism, but today we're actually going to look at a situation where people are questioning their baptism because the wrong words were used by the one who baptized them. Welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am William Dyer, and this is Dyer Conversations. All right, so I got to give you some backstory here on what we're actually talking about. There's a story that came out of Phoenix, Arizona from a Catholic church out there. And what they're saying is that a priest was using the wrong words for 20 years when he was baptizing people, which makes all those people he baptized have invalid baptisms. So what we want to do today is we want to actually look at the New Testament and say, well, what does the Bible say as far as what words, if any, need to be used when we are being baptized so that our baptisms are legitimate? Now, we don't want to um, denigrate Catholics or the Catholic faith. We're not trying to do that. That's not the point of this podcast. We are simply looking at this story because many people, again, have questioned their baptism. So I want to say, all right, what does the New Testament actually say? Let me give you the story here. So St. Gregory Catholic Church in Phoenix, Arizona, it was determined that the priest used the words, quote, we baptize you in the name of the Father the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And what the Catholic Church is saying is, yeah, what he should have done is use the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The concern that they have is that if you use the we instead of the I, that you are implying that it's the community of believers who is baptizing you rather than Christ, who is, in the Catholic version there, the one presiding over the sacrament of baptism. So, what does the New Testament actually say about this issue. So the first place we're going to go is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. This is what's called the Great Commission, if you are familiar with the Bible at all. Jesus has died. He has risen from the dead. He showed himself to the disciples, and he's given them the Great Commission before he goes back to heaven, and they go out to preach the gospel. And so he says here to the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If we're going to be good um, interpreters of the Scripture, one question we have to ask ourselves is not just what is said, but what is not said. That's so important, right? When you're talking to somebody and you think, well, I don't know, they might be lying to me, you're going to pick up not just on what they say to you, but also what they don't say to you. So here you would think in Matthew chapter 28 that if there's a ritual sort of uh, set of words that would need to be used when you're being baptized, that Jesus would have said something about it. That's not what we get. Instead, he simply tells the disciples, when you go out and you make disciples, you're going to baptize them, and you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it probably means something to the effect of like under the authority of or into an association with, you know, like there's plenty of baptisms, right? You had Jewish proselyte sort of baptisms. John the Baptist was baptizing. So this is more of like we're identifying with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which by the way, if you're looking for verses that support the Trinity, here's one right here. But again, Jesus doesn't say anything about any sort of words that need to be used when you're being baptized. That doesn't prove the point, but what it does tell us is there's no evidence right now, just in this 
up to this point in the in the New Testament to support that we have to say a specific set of words when we are baptizing somebody. All right, as we move on, we're going to go past the Gospels, because that's the most important uh, text there that we want to look at. And we're going to move to the book of Acts, which is the next book in the New Testament, because it follows right on the heels of Jesus dying, rising from the dead, ascending back into heaven, commissioning the disciples to go out and preach the gospel, and now this is them actually doing that. So as we go to the book of Acts, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost, the Jewish feast. All these Jews are gathered around in Jerusalem, and Jesus had told the apostles, go wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. There's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. You got um, like a flames of, of fire coming off of their heads. Something was happening there that drew the attention of all these Jews. And they come to this room, this upper room, this gathering place, whatever. And then they're like, what is happening? Maybe these men are drunk because they're speaking in tongues. We don't know. And Peter stands up with the rest of the apostles and they begin to preach the gospel. And so you read there in the text that they actually go to some Old Testament passages and go, no, 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 this was all prophesied about. This was supposed to happen. And the reason why is because the Messiah has come. And who is the Messiah? It's Jesus. How do we know? Look at these passages. So they basically prove to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah through the Old Testament prophecies. And you get to verse 36, and it says that the Jews there were pierced to the heart. They believed the message. And they said, okay, brethren, what should we do? This is what uh, the context there, there in verse 36 and 37 is, is Peter sums up the sermon. And in verse 38, you get the response to what should we do? And he says this, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 41, so then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day were added about 3,000 souls. We have the very first gospel message ever preached after Jesus rose from the dead recorded for us. What do we find? Well, we find a lot of uh, looking to the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. We find Jews responding to the gospel. We see how to respond to the gospel. Yeah, you believe, okay, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. What do we not find? Again, what we don't find is any sort of formula of words that need to be said. We don't get any record of that. All we see is that the message was preached, people believed it, and then they responded positively to that message. Verse 41 again, those who had received the word were baptized, and God added 3,000 souls to the church that day. And now we're going to turn out of the book of Acts into the letters that are called the epistles in the New Testament. So these are written by the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, Apostle John, and then some of their other companions like Jude, um, the brother of Jesus named James. Um, and here's what we find in Colossians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul writes to the church, and he, and he says this, In him, talking about Jesus, you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This passage is actually extremely important for our discussion today because while, again, the Catholics are over here um, all worried about the precise words that need to be said when somebody is being baptized, 
We don't find that emphasis in the New Testament. But instead, the emphasis we actually find is right here in Colossians chapter 2. What's the thing that makes our baptism legitimate? The thing that makes our baptism legitimate is our faith. Again, here, it says, you were buried with him in baptism, and then you were raised through, that's the means, right? Through your faith. That's the thing that's important. Not the words that the person who's baptizing you says, but it is your faith. But here's the second question. What is your faith in? What is the object of your faith? Well, again, this passage, along with others, tells us it is in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In summary, again, if you look at the New Testament, the object of our faith is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what we are putting our trust in. So to follow up on that point, let's go to our last verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, where Peter is making a connection between Noah's flood and baptism. He says, He says this, corresponding to that, talking about Noah's flood, baptism now saves you. It's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter says here, look, just like in the days of Noah, uh, the floodwaters came, wiped out all the evil, and then Noah and his family had salvation because they were in the ark. Corresponding to that, we have this thing in the New Testament. It's called baptism. It's not about the physical thing that's happening there as if the actual water does anything miraculous, right? We're not moving into baptismal regeneration here. He says, no, 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 no. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. Now, that word appeal you might have in your translation could be a pledge. Um, Here's what Thayer's Dictionary, who's a pretty popular Greek dictionary, says, that it is a demand, it's a questioning, or an earnestly seeking, or an appeal. Right? You're appealing to God for a good conscience through what? The resurrection of Jesus. What does that mean? That means that you are coming to the waters of baptism and you're looking and pointing to the resurrection of Jesus and saying, That's the thing that I want, God. That's the thing that's going to give me a good conscience, the resurrection of Jesus, because I'm a wicked sinner and I need salvation. And Jesus Christ is the object of my faith. So, again, What is the emphasis that we find in the New Testament regarding baptism? It's not about who baptizes you. It's not about what they say when they baptize you. What matters is your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So if you're questioning your baptism, here's what you need to ask yourself. What did you believe about Jesus? Not what the person who baptized you said when they did. Thanks again for joining me on today's podcast. Make sure to continue this conversation in the comments below. I'll get back to you. I'll respond to you. I want to know whether you agree with me, disagree with me, or what your thoughts are on this video. And also make sure to subscribe uh, to this channel so you continue to get all the updates on what we're doing here to try to make sure that we are examining the evidence correctly. Until next time, continue to seek the truth and you will find it.